My 20s were a decade of trying to figure out what in the heck was going on. We were told something is happening on the streets, so get ready, use your guns against the people. Whatever you do, as best as you know how to live into it, be full-hearted or just quit. Be full-hearted and quitting. Our lives are meant to make us feel very safe and very taken care of. And then what you end up feeling is you don't know yourself in unknown places. So this podcast was kind of my passion because I've been seeing a lot of these stories recently. I've probably been seeing a lot of them more than just recently, but much like when I first got uh, the Volkswagen bug in high school and started seeing them everywhere, I think I've now had eyes to see these sorts of stories. Um, So whether it's on Facebook or in conversations or, you know, emails, you name it, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of stories that go like this. There'll be a young man or young woman, and they'll be talking about some major choice or shift in their life that's just happened. So it's always retrospective. And they're looking back on it, and they're saying one of two things. One way they might say it is, well, yeah, I was really hoping to get this job or hoping to get this opportunity. And, uh, you know, the doors just closed and I knew that, I, that God wasn't in it. And so I've, I've gone in a different direction since. Or there seems to be the, kind of the opposite of that, which is that the doors opened and that they got to step in. So that's, that's one take. The second is much like the first, there was some thing they were trying to step into and they encountered resistance. They encountered difficulties and there was, you know, I applied for this school and didn't get in and applied again and again, or I submitted, it happens a lot in art, you know, I submitted a book, submitted this, tried to work in music and finally got it. And I've, I've realized recently looking at those two kinds of stories that they're actually really similar. There seems to be some decision, some experience, some vision of kind of what a person would like their life to look like. And then there's um, opposition opposition of some kind. And what's left then is kind of the interpretation. And it always, I don't like that it happens in hindsight. I'd rather it happened in the midst. But I've been wrestling with this question that's, that's come up for me. How do you tell the difference between when God is in something and he's calling you calling you in, opening doors, closing doors. So we love using that language. And when are we supposed to overcome things? Like the door is open-ish, but it's going to be difficult versus when he's not in it and we're supposed to recognize that and not submit our manuscript 42 times or keep applying for the same kind of job. Maybe we're supposed to be in a different city. Like there seems to be this way of making decisions and interpreting events that I just... And it almost feels a little Killing Lions-esque to me because it's back to, wait, how do I make these decisions and all of that? And I wanted us to to have this conversation with you, Dad, and Blaine as, as we think of stories of our own life and ways we've experienced that. And kind of my hunch is that the answer is somewhere in like our personal development and our relationship with God and... And yet it's very unfleshed out for me. And so I, I kind of would love to see where this conversation goes with, with all of that. It's a huge question. And it's not just a question for the 20s. It's a question, you know, for every decade of your life, right? I think maybe just to frame a little bit of our conversation, I think 
two categories come to mind that would be helpful to talk about. One is simply the category of process. Like, what is God up to? How does he work? What, what is his way with us? Like, talking about process. Because, to be honest, we don't like process much. We, we really don't. We, we like answers. We like results. I do. I, I, you know, this, we're doing this deck project at the house, and it blew up, and the guy working on it left, and, and, it, and now it's just a mess. You know, I, I don't want a mess. I want the deck done. You know, and, but God is in the process. He's always in the process. And I was so struck the other day watching both of your daughters, little adorable you know, baby girls, and thinking, okay, the goal is a human being. <laughs> and, like, and this is how you go about it, God? Mm. It, it is so inefficient. It is so messy, and you certainly don't seem to be in a hurry. Like, like the amount of time it takes them to learn how to crawl, and the goal is like a thinking, functioning human being in the universe, making a difference in the world, bringing beauty and goodness. I'm like, and this, this is how you go about it. So, one category of conversation would be good to have is process. Like, what is our understanding of the process of engaging God? Over is this a closed door? Or is this something I'm supposed to, pers- is it just a matter of perseverance, okay? So process is, is one category. But the other category that struck me right away is what kind of person are you? What, what do you know about yourself? What's your tendencies? What, because you're going to actually find a lot of answers simply in, are you the kind of person that, that gives up easily? Are you the kind of person that walks away? Uh, are you the kind of person that will bang their head against a wall a hundred times, incurring all sorts of personal damage, grief, sorrow, and you'll just keep you'll just keep doing it, you know, because you you, you want what you're after. Like those kinds of questions are really important in in discerning whether this is something to walk away from or something to persevere through. It's like, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. It, it is an important part of the conversation. I I kind of also wish that the answer was something like, is spring coming and has a groundhog seen his shadow? Like, if God is in this, if you turn around three times and you find yourself facing north, God's in it and just keep going. Totally. But like, of course it's not. Of course it's uh, immediately as you start talking about what's your personality like and, and, and process, um, both sides of the stories come to mind. <laughs> I was having dinner last week with a, a very, very bright and very, very gifted a uh, man uh, who had just turned 40. He actually is in the medical profession, and he's very skilled at what he does. So this is a guy who's who's begun to kind of find his way in life. But the story that he told was of his years in Nashville wanting to be a songwriter. And the other person having dinner with us sitting at the table kind of lit up and goes, oh my gosh, he's, he's more James Taylor than James Taylor is. Like, he's really, really good. And he, they start kind of extolling this fellow's skills. Um, and he started naming the, the musicians that he was able to get to help him on his kind of debut, you know, I don't know what you call those, your first album that you kind of try and put out there. But I mean, these were like like Alison Krauss's band and people, like he had really, really skilled musicians. So I'm intrigued. And the story is four years at it, incredible, incredible gifts, incredible connections, nothing. Nothing. It went nowhere. 
done over. And and you could see the disappointment on his face, and and you could see that was a hard part of his story. And now he's quote back to his other job, but it really felt like he was left without any interpretation. And and I think that's the kind of story that we're after, right? That's what we want to try and unpack: is what do you do with that stuff? Where is God in that? I have contrasting stories. Um, the first one was second year of college in California and, you know, went back, accustomed to living outside of the house, all of those college things. If you've found another city where you're finding belonging and making a place and um, trying to work on establishing a community for yourself. And my freshman year had kind of ended with like this, oh man, it works, is hopefully a person's freshman year kind of does of near the end, you feel like you've you found your feet a little bit and you've grown relationally and you have this upslope that launches you into the totally random isolation of a summer vacation and then you come back. And I think like a lull would be normal in that case, but came back and that sophomore year ended up just being the worst kind of isolated TDM I'd experienced up to that point. It was relationships weren't working, uh, relationships with professors were difficult, felt like the passion for what I was studying was waning or coming under specific attack and being undercut in a lot of ways. And it was really fascinating and difficult because I knew that there was such a thing as the sophomore slump uh, if you happen to be a college student. And when I would go and talk to mentors and professors actually at the school or in California about, man, this year is just not going well. And I feel like I'm not connecting with people. I feel isolated from God. I feel really frustrated with the way that this institution is actually run. And it would just come back with like, well, that's all part of growing. And so I stayed and, you know, it was just there for the fall. I was just trying to work through it. And then I remember it was in December when I was trying to decide whether or not to actually go back for a spring semester that felt like finally heard from God on, yes, go back for the spring, but transfer, but pull out in this case. And the the thing that made that actually difficult was that that in every person's interpretive category, pretty much that I talked to in California, was some level of shirking, failure, escape, refusing to persevere. And the advice was, no, it's about you, you. It's about bringing everything that you have into the site where you are, you know, like that Jeremiah 31 passage was written to people in exile and you are in your site of exile and this is where you marry and stay. And all this advice that it turned out, you know, I can say many years now down the line was deeply misguided, but it felt so disorienting because mm. I felt God saying, no bail on this one. But the advice and the admonishment was persevere, stay where you are. Mm -hmm. And then it was only once I had committed to leaving and left that I was able to realize like, absolutely not. That one, that was not what God was doing. I should not have stayed there. Yeah, see, that what's, what's huge about that is not only do you have to know yourself— but you have to know your culture, right? You were in a particular culture that that was so prone to give that advice. Like that, that is their 
that is their only advice. That, you know, you must persevere. This is what God has for you. You know, grow where you're planted. That was your culture. And it's important to know that. Like, again, folks, as we're just trying to think through, here, here are some categories. What am I inclined to do? What, what's, my incl- what's my culture inclined to do or to tell me to do? You know, that, that type of advice, I don't think that was God. I think that was their brokenness. I think that was the particular brokenness and idolatry of that culture, of that school, of that campus, you know, buckle down, persevere, yeah, you know. Whereas another culture, it may have a very different ethos. It may be, oh man, you know, just chase your dreams, go with the flow, dude, you know. Um, and that may not be healthy, but we're just naming some things here that Yeah, the culture piece feels huge because when I think about interpreting those kind of events, I also mentally group them into almost like, I end, up, I end up grouping them into categories around like fields. And so it, it, there's a category of the creative, right? And I just did a quick Google search for, you know, famous authors, book submission rejections, things like that. Like right. how many times has that been Googled? Yeah. And the amount of sites and the amount of stories that come up are, are staggering. It's like, I could read them off, and, and maybe we will, but in this moment, I think what I was struck by was that the creative arena feels like a category, and the ethos in that is more of like the, yeah, you should submit 36 times, 37 times, and if you get rejected 36, 37 times, submit 38 times, and just kind of keep going with that, and that's really, it's not taking into account your personality, or, yeah, that feels like a very cultural thing. Similarly, like, work and place feel like its own category as well. And I mean, Luke just wrote that great article on jumping ship and there's, there's more to that that feels permissible to, to move or to bail or to leave a place though. Clearly like in Blaine's story, depending on your culture and your climate, that can be met with a lot of hostility and a lot of judgment of somehow you failing by choosing to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, like there ends up being so many of those um, arenas. And so when I think of a story for me, there like this one's pretty recent and it doesn't really fall into a category for me. Or if it does, I think it's more of like the question mark, question mark, question mark category of how do you interpret it? So my story is the recent one around China. I've had a, a desire for a really long time to live abroad and to do it in my younger life, I was thinking I was going to make that happen in my 20s, 28 now. So it sure feels like that's needed to kind of go or maybe happen in my 30s. Teaching has kind of always felt like the easy way in because with an English degree, you can actually have a lot of opportunity in kind of Southeast Asia. And that's a great way to live and work there. But with new season and kids and working here, it's kind of felt like that dream has had to go. Um, and that's been also like, tough and okay um, because we get to travel there sometimes and that's a lot of fun. And then out of nowhere, uh, this kind of opportunity presented itself, like wasn't looking for it, wasn't really dreaming about it and had a a conversation with my brother-in-law who lives and works with his family in China and their school was hiring. It seemed like my resume was great and it kind of brought to the surface like, oh, this actually would be really good timing. We've got a young kid. We can go live there. And so, like, within a matter of days, this opportunity presented itself. A lot of excitement built. We looked at the requirements and submitted my resume, and the school got really excited, and I had an interview with them. I talked with 
some people hear about it, talked with people to potentially take care of our house for the two years we'd be gone. Felt like we were just getting all of our ducks in a row. Literally got a passport for our baby girl and renewed mine. Like just boom, 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 boom. And then within two days, the whole thing falls apart for like kind of weird reasons. Like it turned out that after the school being excited and us being excited and it looking like it was going to happen and potentially even going to go this, would have been going this August that I wasn't going to meet the visa requirements. And so as quickly as the doors open and presented themselves, they shut and conversation with the school dropped, dropped off the map. And it was pretty clear that like, it just wasn't going to happen. Like it was, it was impossible. Like I couldn't get into the country to teach. And Susie and I were left there standing with kind of not, not having looked for that door, not, not having been feeling like that was an answer we were looking for necessarily. Like there was, it was a season of restlessness, but the door presented itself. We walked through it, at least into the mantle. And then it felt like just as quickly the door shut. Yeah. Um, and we were left like looking around, kind of going, well, we're getting these passports in the mail in a couple of weeks and we don't really need them anymore because this is no longer an opportunity. And I, that was one of those things where in the moment and looking back, there's been some interpretation, but it was it was one of those categories and one of those stories of like, geez, if I was telling this to someone, it would be really difficult for me to kind of, at, at, a, at a face value, interpret what, totally. what Jesus was up to. Was that us? Was that him? Were those doors opening? Were they closing? Was he just kind of yanking our chain around to evoke other things, which sort of implies a very cruel idea of who God might be, mm-hmm. but when other things got raised, we kind of wanted mm-hmm. to say like, oh, that was what he was after. He was after disappointment or he's after our restlessness here. But that story to me feels like also really present and I mean, it was super recent. And I remember Blaine asking a couple of weeks after the fact, like, hey, what do you, how do you interpret that? Mm-hmm. And how are you doing with that? And I remember my answer was like, my interpretation and what would I do with it feels like a Jackson Pollock painting Mm -hmm. where there are just so many colors and so many layers that the whole China living abroad thing was just one of them. And I I don't know how to even separate it from the chaos of the rest. Mm. You know, so many things are coming to mind. This This is actually a really important conversation for every human being. First off, you've got to be really careful of what it does to your relationship with God. Like, your relationship with God is your lifeline. It is your means of interpretation. It is your means of opening doors and, and, and discerning whether you push through or not. It, it, it is your rescue when dreams are shattered. Like, that's our lifeline. And, and what, what circumstances and stories like this do is it tends to create distance. It tends to, it tends to begin to introduce mistrust. It tends to, and so I just want to name that, like this isn't a show about, you know, is God good? But you've got to be aware of that, like protect the relationship, protect the relationship. So many times I just have to say, look, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but I've got to hang on to you. And, you know, this is massively important in tragedy because when heartache and tragedy comes, I'll guarantee you, you can have God or you can have interpretation. But if you insist on both, you will usually end up losing both. 
you know, when, 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 when you lose a loved one, you know, when a lifelong work collapses in flames, when you suffer a massive betrayal in relationship, it, it, the fog of war around that in, in, in the early days is so thick, you, you probably aren't going to get interpretation. Hang on to God. Like, hang on to God. Just want to say these kinds of stories, great, large, and small, will begin to have a cumulative effect on your, on your relationship with God. Take note of that. Protect the relationship. Because when the smoke clears, it's the relationship you want <laughs> more than anything. And, and, and who cares about the job? Really? I mean, in the end, God can see you to a new thing. But man, if you come out of that and, and all that's left is just desolation, your faith is gone, God is gone, life sucks. The world is a hard place. But you have a job. <laughs> but you have a job. Like, honestly, that's not a win. It's not. So that's that's just one thought that comes to mind. But can we, as we're helping people think through this, as we're actually spending some time right now thinking through it ourselves, can we just name something? God is not a micromanager. The, the universe is not this very simplistic experience of cause and effect. There's that story uh, in the Gospels, where the disciples are walking along with Jesus, and they see someone born blind, and they ask Jesus, uh, who sinned, this person or their parents, that they would be born blind? And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 that is a horrible view of the world. That it, It's not like that, guys. It's not this direct, immediate, micromanaged cause and effect thing. Circumstances may just be circumstances, gang. So let's be careful that you don't just immediately go to, well, the door opened, I'm, I'm supposed to walk through it. Or the door shut, I guess I'm not supposed to have that job. Right. I mean, I, in the story that I've told in other circumstances of a dear friend of ours who was sick, and, and she says, oh, I just, I just sure hope I learn what God has for me in this so I can get over being sick. And I looked at her and I'm like, you think God made you sick? There are other things in the world called germs. There, there is a universe that you live in, and that universe has all kinds of realities to it, like the law of gravity and the second law of thermodynamics and all, germs and that sort of thing. Just because something happened doesn't mean it was or wasn't, quote, the will of God, right? You go, hang on a second. Let's, let's slow down and not just use circumstances as some immediate you know, winnowing rods, some immediate proof of the presence or the absence of the favor of God. I can see how that actually feels really, it's really small and kind of really narcissistic. And I love identifying narcissism because I have a ton of it. And the more I notice it, the more I call it out, the, the f more free I get from it. But the idea of like walking down the street and something happens and everything is well, anyway, we're going to be dipping into some some more philosophical waters there. But the idea of, well, this happened, therefore God is intending for me to turn right. Like, well, you just hit a red light, dude. Like, wait three minutes and then keep going where you're supposed to be going. Like, well, they were out of my favorite butter croissant, so I guess God doesn't want me to be on my diet anymore, and I'm supposed to get the chocolate croissant. I would love a chocolate croissant right now. <laughs> like there's something in that and I'm using small examples because what you're pointing to are the larger ones and there's this I mean I think a tendency or a propensity these days 
that I, I am guilty of as well of, I think, maybe overinterpreting some things or overplaying. Like, I think some of that is pulling away. Well, and now we are getting into philosophical theological waters of how much of the tinkerer is God. Like literally yep. Yep. every interaction you have. And some people like to call that fate and, you know, and all that. But uh, he is, oh, he just, is intimately involved. Right. He is intimately involved. But the world is not a micromanaged computer game. I hope not because if he is micromanaging there's a lot of things that he's making happen that are freaking crazy. Exactly. Yeah, wait, right. Okay, I want to jump in. You guys are just having a conversation with yourselves. Um, <laughs> go ahead, chocolate croissant. I can go ahead and step out if you guys want to finish this podcast. <laughs> no, 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 I just go, can go you for get it. me a cup of coffee? Get in there. Yeah, we'll do you want any baked goods. Um, yeah, I mean, right on that point, though, and this, I think, relates, this is the flip side of the tension of that, yes, God is not micromanaging. Um, yes, his con- the first concern when something goes sideways is, what do you believe about God? But I think in, you know, I see in like Sam's story, when I asked him, what are you doing with it? I was wondering, like, what did it bring up in your heart with God? And what might he be after? But it feels like there's a balance that's very difficult to maintain. Em and I have for kind of a, you know, the last year or so been trying to figure out what our next step is with housing. Do we keep renting like we've been doing? Do we look to buy? If we look to buy, oh my goodness, open that box. Where, when, how, why? And as we were talking through it for the kind of, you know, the upteenth time, and M was asking, like, wow, you seem really ambivalent about this. Like, and I'm like, well, I feel ambivalent because we're trying to do listening prayer about which way we should go. And, and all of a sudden, just out of my mouth comes, And I don't think he cares. Like, not that, like, I know he cares deeply about us, but I feel like he's, I I realized that I had begun to believe that he was so disinterested in circumstances that they weren't even relevant. And it's, it's just that odd thing of knowing, like, the first thing is who we become. And that is vital in your worldview. But there's a risk in that worldview of beginning to forget that actually, there are things in who you're becoming that would be better sites than others. Like, you know, you can become a great man by taking one job or the other job, but actually, probably, I'm sure that God is interested in which one it is, but it's so difficult to yes. find how that works. Yes. How much do you just say the circumstance doesn't matter when you're trying to address, like, is God in this or yes. is he after something else? Yes. Without arriving at the conclusion that Jesus doesn't actually care about circumstances at all. No, 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 no. Um, he cares about circumstances immensely. I mean, my goodness, look at the cross and the intervention of God in man, in mankind's story. I didn't mean by that he doesn't care about circumstances. I was saying just be careful as you interpret things, as things are unfolding, be very careful you don't fall into a very simplistic I guess God wants me to be sick for a while. He has some lesson for me to learn. Well, actually, there are these things called germs, and there are these things called antibiotics. And you, if you just went and saw your doctor, you'd probably get over that thing in three or four days. I'm just saying that simplistic, we're, we're trying to move from, you know, I once was a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Like, we're just trying to put away a certain kind of naivete that's very frustrating when you're trying to discern what God is up to 
do you push through? Is this a call to perseverance or is this a closed door? As you're trying to discern that, right? Let's not let's not, you know, be operating with a childish view that just because a door closes means that's the will of God. That may not necessarily be true. He may he may be wanting you to pound on it. He may be wanting to teach you new things uh, about how the world operates. He may be growing you up. He may be teaching you new things about prayer. And we have to introduce into the conversation the fact that you live in a world at war. Um, Pascal calls it the dignity of causation. God has granted to angels and to men the dignity of causation, meaning he lets our choices matter. People's choices matter. Fallen angels still have the dignity of causation. They're still operating in the world. There is a war, and a, and a closed door may be thievery. Is that a category you think in? Do you know how to pray about that? Like, see what I'm saying? It's not a, just a simple, the door is closed, I must move on. Totally, because I was thinking about that in regards of a whole different categories that we've had as families. When we think about like vacations and joy, it's no longer the pressure of a home or a job or a fruition of a creative project. It's life in a different way. And so when we, th- we thought about vacations in the past, like the story of the summer we went to a dude ranch and had a lot of fun as a family and it was really, really good. And then the next summer, it was just autopilot to say like, well, let's, oh, yeah. re- let's repeat that. We didn't even ask. We didn't even pray about it. It was a no-brainer. Right. We're going back. But then when we did, it was no. And w- the disruptive part of that piece is relationship with God and being able to hear no. Um, because then we didn't. And this <laughs> is like the most unfair example because who gets this but then a forest fire comes and it was that week and the the ranch was protected it didn't burn but the guests i think were evacuated and it was you know chaos and we like our vacation our time of joy would have been stolen yeah and so god was in you know keeping keeping that joy keeping that life as long as we're willing to walk with him and so i'm struck by you know that that other category of, of thievery and and small ways of relationships and an afternoon, um, things that are good for your soul and for joy and for life that, I mean, if you have any sort of enemy, they don't want any kind of goodness for you, large or small. And so if if there's no enemy right in that, then God doesn't want you to, there's, there's a lot in that as well yeah. I'm struck by. Well, it, it, we're raising questions about worldview. What is your worldview? How do you think God operates in the world? How do you think evil operates in the world? How do you think the, quote, world operates in the world? Um, these are important things for people to mature in. And, and, and God is maturing us in that. He doesn't want us to stay in a very simplistic view of black and white, closed door, open door. He is calling us to mature. In fact, Hebrews uh, says that the mature have honed their senses to discern good and evil through practice. Like you you grow. You grow in your ability, you know, you grow in your intuition, you grow in your walk with God, you grow in your instincts in that. As we're unpacking these things, it's surfacing some core convictions. And one is you can do life, you can do life on your own with God as the occasional rescue plan, and he will actually let you do that. But if you get mad at him for not intervening, 
remember, that's the life you chose. You chose a way of operating in the world where you're pretty much just doing your thing, making choices, following hunches, going after whims and desires, right? And God is the occasional rescue plan. Lord, help, rescue me. Um, he'll actually let people live their entire life like that. But then don't blame him, right, for not being more intimate or a more available source of comfort, guidance, companionship, because that's what you chose. That, that's the life you chose. And, and I, I think a, what was the Dallas Willard cl- quotes this, this whole thing in his discussion and in his book on discipleship, it's the Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I listen to your word. And, and, and he's like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> and when you don't like that life anymore, let me invite you into a different kind of way of operating in the world. Let me invite you, and, and again, this isn't this flip of a switch, but let me invite you into a life of growing intimacy with me through which, yes, you will be able to discern opportunities, setbacks, warfare, much more quickly, much more readily. Um, as you're talking about the this learning and discerning good from evil through practice, I actually am now realizing what the the conversation the retrospective kind of announcing of what something was to other people is like that oh that was a door that was closed or oh that was a door that was opened or yes that was um an obstacle i had to overcome in that there's actually no failure like there wasn't i don't know that i hear many people saying yes there was this thing that i wanted and it was totally just me and i went for it and i got it and it sucked and it all fell apart and i made the wrong choice Instead, it's usually like, well, and then God closed that door and pulled me to something else. And, yeah. and, and in like the the Hebrews verse, practice sort of implies that you get to fail and you get to do things wrong and do things right and learn how to do things right and wrong. And you get better at doing it right more often. But I, actually, as you were saying that, I was struck by how the retrospective, and I'm prone to doing it, but like that, yeah. And then, uh, you know, God opened this other door. And it's like, wait, no, you've been banging your head against the wall for 10 years, mm. and then you finally asked, mm. and he answered. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not—can you name that you actually have been making a wrong choice? Exactly. Own up, gang. Yeah, that's huge. Even just to reiterate, I'm so aware as I hear you tell it straight, Sam, of my ability to understand or interpret a difficulty— feels very much linked, you know, to my ability to be honest about my own heart. And simply, if some form of repentance is not on the table, it's very difficult to actually trust the outcome of my process of uh, reflection. Or it's like, if I can't be like, yeah, you know, I actually was ticked at God. And so not only did I not ask, I kind of expected to fail and like and I think this and therefore and therefore to be able to process that out and arrive at a better place but I also Psalm 119 what a freaking crazy psalm like the whole second part I'm glad you for some reason brought that one in because I was well Emily was looking at it recently and I was not looking at Psalm 119 guys but Emily was and she pointed out like 
this is crazy. The whole second half of this psalm is something that ought to be like more people's aspiration. It's freaking amazing. But I have never met anybody who's like, man, you know, the reflection of that heart and which, you know, someone 18, really likely that David actually wrote that one. But it's just, you know, I trust you because I walk in your ways. My heart wants good things because I know you. Like, it is this like refrain mm. for like 50 lines mm. on like, I walk righteously, my heart is true in God. Like, mm-hmm. it's just in this conversation, I think it's so helpful to have like even something like, like that model out there of, mm-hmm. I don't know many people who are going, who have a vision of a level of maturity that would be like, oh yeah, w- my eventual goal is to like know the ways of God so well that I can in confidence say like, mm-hmm. I am united with you in my decision-making because I've trusted and studied your ways. Right, right. And what a thing to aspire to, right? And and that's what I mean about you can choose another life. Go for it. But don't blame God on your bad choices and don't don't use a simplistic worldview to just say, well, that door didn't open or, or you know, own up. Own up to the fact that you are living independently. You are you are living fairly randomly through and and then admit your own failures. Go, yeah, that was a bad decision. And recognize that there is an invitation to another life. There really is. I was thinking of John 10, the you know, that everybody loves to quote John 10 10. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Like, yes, we want the life. But that is a totally conditional offer is completely conditional. And the condition is, my sheep hear my voice. They follow me and I lead them to life. In fact, he says they come in and go out and find safe pasture because they are intimately aligned with what Jesus is up to in those circumstances. They are intimately aligned. The condition for the life that every person is seeking is intimacy with God. That is the fundamental condition. And of course it should be, right? Like, why why would he just let people, George McDonald says, without God, man must fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. Like the worst possible thing is that when your false self works, the worst possible thing is that when you rig a whole life of happiness that has nothing to do with intimacy with God, that's horrible. That's that's demonic. So, so let's just give some categories here. This, this, this conversation has kind of wandered all over the map. Let's give some categories that you're, you're beginning to think in. What are we trying to bring to interpretation? Is this a closed door or am I supposed to persevere? Is this an open door that I'm supposed to walk through it or does God have something else for me? How do you make those kinds of calls? Well, number one, what is your worldview? Who, who all is involved in this? right? Is, is evil even part of your worldview? Are you aware of how it's set against you? You have a very personal assignment against your life. Very personal. It was introduced the day you were born, and it is set very, very distinctly against your particular gifting, your particular role in the world, your particular loves. Are you aware of that? Are you, is that part of your worldview? Is part of your worldview one of intimacy and the growing in, invitation of intimacy? right? Another category that you want to have before you is, what is the decade I'm in? What, it, what is going on right now in my life? And, and this is to come back to what you guys are all about. Let, let me just ask you off the cuff, here you are at 26 and 28. What, what is the underlying pressure 
that you feel in your life at this point about decisions and success and breakthrough and getting on with your life? What, what, what's the, what are the pressures that you feel? Have more friends and more money and follow God flawlessly. Yeah, I would say like the feeling is that somehow I'm, I'm already behind in pretty much everything. And I need to get started in a career and a community and like a way of being and get moving quickly because this is when I'm young. This is when I have got the energy, the vitality for it. And this is where I'm going to want to have put in the foundation for what I'm going to be reaping in my 40s and 50s and 60s and after. And if that isn't happening, more friends, more money, more intimacy with God, I mean, if that isn't going on, good choices, sewing well, laying a good... Oh, well, then you're, you're a bad young man. <laughs> you're up a particular creek and you have no paddle. Spit creek. <laughs> okay, let's just name this constant pressure that's always there, that we're behind, we're not doing it right, we're messing up. Let, let's just name that, because it's, it's, it's constant, and it is horrible. It provides no good thing. There's nothing that gets motivated out of that pressure. There's no emotion. There's no thought. There's no action that gets motivated out of that pressure that is good or that ultimately brings about goodness. Right? The fear, the performance, I'm behind, the scramble, right? I suck at life. You know, I'm, I, must not, I must not be close to God. All that stuff that comes in, right? Can you just name that? That's horrible. I think that God is, there is no question that in a young man's life, God is developing perseverance. There's just no question. Because perseverance is going to help you so much later in life. And, and, and not, not that much later in life. I mean, what's it like having young children, children under the age of one? I mean, that just requires a constancy of showing up and being there and being kind and coming through for a being that has very little capacity to do anything other than need you, perseverance, right? Absolutely huge. And perseverance partly involves the growing skill of not losing heart. And, and so th it, this is back to kind of protecting your heart and protecting your relationship with God. When things are hard, You've got, you've got to immediately fight, the, you know, the dogs of discouragement, accusation, condemnation, despair, all that stuff that comes in. I will not lose heart. I no, and and I don't know that, I don't know um, that people realize that's a volitional thing. Um, you know, when Jesus says, "Take heart. Uh, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world." He's assuming that you can take heart. He's assuming that's a volitional act. I think most people assume that things like discouragement and despair just sort of sweep over us and, and like weather, and we just have to sort of live with them. Jeez. That just feels like being tossed around in the waves. Because I, yeah. Right? Therefore, we do not lose heart. I, I've got to read to you. That I, I actually have several book recommendations today for our listeners, but this first one is from a collection. Uh, it's a book called Points Unknown, The Greatest Adventure Writing of the 20th Century. It was put out by Outside Magazine, and it's all these 
um, essays and samples and articles that go across the the entire 20th century of the adventure world, adventure writing. Um, this is back to Robert Falcon Scott, right? And the race. These guys are racing for the South Pole. I just want to read their journal. L- uh, Sunday, March 4th, lunch. Things look very black indeed. All the morning, we had to pull with all our strength, and in four and a half hours, we covered three and a half miles. Last night, it was overcast and thick, surface bad. This morning, sun shining and surface as bad as ever. One has little to hope for. We are about 42 miles from the next depot and have a week's food, but only three to four days' fuel. We are as economical of the latter as one can possibly be, and we cannot afford to save food and pull as we are pulling. We are in a very tight place indeed, but none of us despondent yet. Or at least we preserve every semblance of good cheer. But one's heart sinks as the sledge stops dead at some obstacle beneath the surface. Providence to our aid. We can expect little from man now except the possibility of extra food at the next depot. It will be real bad if we get there and find the same shortage of oil. Shall we get there? Such a short distance it would have appeared to us on the summit. I don't know what I should do if Wilson and Bowers weren't so determinedly cheerful over things. The remarkable, remarkable quality. If you read the journals and the essays of the early explorers, Shackleton, all those guys, is there ability not to lose heart. Their ability through horrible, horrible circumstances, relentless stuff. These guys had to thaw their sleeping bags. Their sleeping bags were animal skins. They had to thaw their sleeping bags with their own body heat at the end of the day in order to be able to get into them. All right? It took them an hour and a half to thaw their sleeping bags so that then they could get inside of it and sleep the night. And then they get up and they talk about, but Wilson and Bowers, God bless them, they're keeping good cheer. Uh, Otherwise, they would have killed each other. Right? I mean, seriously. Like, otherwise, it's cannibalism. I mean, it's it's all over. And so... Wilson and Bowers are looking particularly (laughs) delectable today. (laughs) (laughs) The ability not to lose heart is no question one of the things that God is up to calling us more deeply into conversation with him is no question something that God is up to. Just last night, I was in a conversation with a young woman who's looking for a a career in the music industry. And and I was praying with her and I said, now before we do some listening prayer, can I just ask you a question? If Jesus says, not this year, what what are you going to do with that answer? And she says, oh, I'll be absolutely crushed. And I said, so you understand that Jesus is having a difficult time talking to you right now. <laughs> you know, y- y- no wonder you're not hearing from him. You you have you have closed off any answer but one. And so growing intimacy, surfacing things in our hearts, maturing our worldview, developing a kind of inner resolution in us uh, of we will not lose heart. Period. I'm I'm not going to lose heart. There's no question he's up to those things. And, and, and if we will pursue those things, we will be in a much better position to then determine whether, quote, this is an open door or a closed door, or whether we're, you know, we're supposed to persevere or change 
campuses, change schools, for heaven's sakes, halfway through your college career, you're going to you know, go to a different state, to a different school. That was a big decision, right? You're in a much better position to discern those things if you are already operating in the categories that we do have. It's really good. But let me, let, me just, let me just name a few books. So I know that many young women listen to our podcast as well as young men, but it, particularly you young guys out there. Read The River of Doubt. It's a, it's a story of Teddy Roosevelt's last great adventure charting an unnavigated part of the Amazon. Uh, it's a fabulous book. It's really well written. Which, Re- by the way, about every chapter of that book, I want to just go and eat all the food and drink all the fresh water <laughs> that I can find. <laughs> Uh, the book I just uh, uh, quoted from, Points Unknown, The Greatest Adventure Writing of the 20th Century. Read Krakauer's Into Thin Air. The best book on Shackleton is called Endurance. Read, read that. Read, this, read Shackleton's story. They will, they will buttress you. They, they will give you categories. They, they, they will add to your interpretive skill. They will actually be an enormous source of encouragement to you of how well things are actually going in your life. (laughs) I noticed that the book title, Simple, Fast, and Rewarding, wasn't in that list of books. It'll help. Guys, thanks for dropping by and listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it today. If you want to keep tabs on us and what other projects we've got going on, the best way to do that is to follow us on social media. If you are no longer on social media like some of us, don't panic. You can still keep tabs on what we're up to. Just go to ansonsmagazine.com, join our mailing list, and we'll keep you in the know. And while you're there, be sure to read the magazine. 